Today, uh, we're continuing in our Hebrew series for our sermon. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's such a delight and an honor to worship our living God together with you. And today, I want to talk to you about how to live with power, how to live with power. Um, We all want that. Uh, We all want to live with power in our lives, with confidence um, in our lives, and yet many of us, we find that's lacking um, in our lives. And so today we're going to ask the question, how do I live with power? How do I live with power? The world will tell you that your source of confidence comes from yourself. It might come from your wealth or your health or your successes and your accomplishments or your potential. Um, But scripture tells us that that's not where we as Christians derive our power. Where we Christians derive our power is we derive our power actually from the love relationship that we have with God the Father. The love relationship that we have with God the Father, that's where we derive our strength and our confidence and our assurance. And that's where all of that comes from for our life. If you remember the story of Adam and Eve, Adam, he was created and lived inside of that love relationship, that assurance that he was loved by God, that he was a son of God. And then he fell. And in that rebellion, Adam lost his confidence, Adam lost everything that gave him the source of strength for his life. And after he fell, God comes into the garden in the cool of the day, and he looks for Adam, and he says what? He says, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Now, he doesn't say that because he doesn't know where Adam is. He says that because Adam doesn't know where Adam is. Let me say that again. God doesn't ask where he is because God doesn't know where Adam is. It's because Adam no longer knows where he is. He no longer knows who he is. He no longer knows where he's going because now he is lost. And the grounding and footing that he had for strength and power in his life all of a sudden has disappeared. And the man who was the vice king of all creation is now a fugitive hiding behind bushes before Almighty God. You see... For many of us as well, that source of strength and assurance in our life has been lost because we have lost our assurance in the love of God. Today, we're going to look at how to get it back. How do we get that assurance back in our lives? And we're going to look at Hebrews 10. Uh, We're going to continue in our series. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Hebrews 10 and verse 26 with me. So I want to warn you that first verse is a little bit controversial, a little bit Difficult verse, but we'll work through it. Hebrews 10, verse 26 to 39. So you have your copy of the word of the Lord. We'll read this together. We'll ask for God's help. This is Hebrews 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fire of fury that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse, do you think, will be deserved by one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. This is a key verse here. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the word of the Lord. We are not those who shrink back. We are not those who shrink back. The, the core source of where we get our assurance is the love of God. And for those who have the love of God, we are not those who shrink back, but we live lives of power. And today, I want to show you how the author of Hebrews un unpacks this in our passage today. And as we do that, we're going to look at uh, the first half of the sermon, which is stripped of power. How is it that we get stripped of power in our lives? And then how do we work our way back to be robed again with power? And so we'll look at those two things. Will you bow your heads with me and ask Jesus for help for your heart and for me, for the spirit to be in our midst? Father, we now invite you to come and not only to make sense of your word, but now to write it on our heart, just like you promised that in the new covenant that you will write these words on our heart and that your heartbeat will be our heartbeat. Make that true of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. First, we look at how we get stripped of power. And I want to start with this first verse, which has troubled Christians for quite some time. Uh, verse 26 and let me read it one more time. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge of the truth, uh, there, is, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. It's a confusing passage for those who know that the Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrifice holds us forever. And this verse has been misinterpreted um, and has even been used to scare Christians, to tell them that if they continue sinning, you can sin your way out of salvation. And I want to show you what this means. This is what the uh, verse seems to be saying. It seems to be saying that maybe accidental sins are okay and are covered by the blood of Jesus. But if you keep on deliberately sinning, then you can sin your way out of heaven. And the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross vanishes away if you keep on sinning deliberately. That's what it seems to be saying. But I want to show you how... Um, that is actually not the right interpretation. And hopefully you learn something about Bible interpretation by looking at this. We have to look at what that verse is in the context of the passage. And I want to take you through, the, actually look at it through the entirety and the context of that chapter 10 um, here. In chapter 10, the, the burden of the author and has been for the whole of the book of Hebrews is to pull people away who are tempted to go back to Judaism. Those who have a hard time trusting in Jesus Christ and want to go back to Judaism, and he's been warning them that if you do that, you will strip yourself of the gospel. And by doing that, not only are you forfeiting your salvation, but you're forfeiting your power. Because the Old Testament sacrifice system is impotent. And the only thing that really has power is the blood of Jesus. 
And I want to show you that. Let's go to Hebrews 10.1. This is what the author says. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The entire argument that he has been making throughout the book of Hebrews, and especially in verse 10, is that the sacrificial system of the Old Testament can't save you. Every time you sin, you nullify the sacrifice. And then you got to go and make another sacrifice. And then you sin again and you nullify the sacrifice. And that's why in Hebrews 10, 11 to 12, he says that's why the priest has to stand daily at his service, repeatedly offering the same sacrifices. Because every time you sin, you damage that relationship with God. And so he says, so don't go back to that. Don't run to that. Because it's an unstable way of life. It jeopardizes not only your salvation, it jeopardizes your power to live in this life. And he says, only the sacrifice of Jesus is the once for all sacrifice that stands for you, the blood of Jesus, invincible forever. Amen. Now, I want to show you how hard that is for a Jew to believe. I know that for many of us, we say amen to that. But for a Jew, that was really hard to believe. Imagine you grew up believing and understanding that every time you sin, you have to figure that out. You have to pay for it. And so every time you sin, you have to have a sacrifice. And if you don't have a sacrifice, your heart will feel uneasy until you made amends with God because your relationship with God is damaged at that point. And so you have to go make amends again. Imagine that's how you grew up understanding your relationship with God. And then he says, let me just give you one sacrifice that will pay for all of your sins for the rest of your life. Really hard to believe. Imagine if I told you there's a currency that I could deposit into your bank account, that if I deposit this $1 of currency, I'm going to call it a Dave dollar. I will give you a Dave dollar. And if you have one Dave dollar in your account, then you can spend as much as you want on your credit card and your money will never run out. That sounds pretty sweet, right? But if you did that, and if you deposited today a Dave dollar into account, you know what happened all throughout the week? You guys would all be checking your bank accounts, looking to make sure it's not running out, because you don't trust me. You don't trust the Dave dollar, and you've never ever experienced something like that, where you can deposit something into your account and it never runs out, right? That's how hard it was for the Jews to believe the gospel, because they grew up in a system where they were always having to make amends, continually making sacrifice. But the author of Hebrews says, I know this is difficult for you, but this is the only power that you're going to have in life. You need to believe that there is a sacrifice that is invincible, standing forever, the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus, no matter how much you sin, will stand. It is not like the sacrifices of old. It is final forgiveness is a permanent sacrifice. That's the context of not only chapter 10, but the entirety of the book of Hebrews so far. Now, I want to go back to the, trouble, uh, the troubling verse, verse 26. Within that context, read verse 26. Within the context of that being the burden of the author, does it make sense that verse 26, he says, but if you deliberately sin, then the sacrifice of Jesus is nullified. Does that make sense? It doesn't, right? Because that's the exact thing that he's arguing against. 
That would be to nullify the very selling point of the gospel, the very focus that he's making, that he's um, securing his argument on here. His whole point is that Jesus' sacrifice is the only thing that holds people up in their sin. And so what is he talking about? He's talking about the one sin that he's been warning the Hebrews against this whole letter, which is running back to the old covenant, rejecting Jesus and his sacrifice, rejecting Jesus in his blood and going back to the sacrificial system. Now, if we say, well, this verse, it means that if you sin, then you will lose your salvation, that would be completely out of the blue. Because what sins are the Hebrews struggling with in their letter? You know, we've been in Hebrews for what, three months? I don't remember. But we've been in it for a while. But what sins? What sins are they struggling with? We don't even know. Because he hasn't even been talking about the sins that the Hebrews struggle with. It's unlike the Corinthians. As soon as you open up 1 Corinthians, you know exactly what they're struggling with. Division, sexual immorality, pride, argumentative spirits. Right? You see all of that in Corinthians. You know what the Corinthians are struggling with. But in the book of Hebrews, he hasn't brought up sin at all. Not really. The particular kind of sins that they are struggling with. So for us to say that this verse means that if you sin, and he's all of a sudden saying, if you keep deliberately sinning, then you're going to lose your salvation. That would be completely out of the blue. He hasn't brought up their licentious sins at all. You see, that's something called isogesis. When we take our thinking and we put it into the Bible, but that's not how we receive scripture. We let God's holy word in and of itself to speak to us. And we interpret scripture using scripture. We interpret scripture with the context that God has given to us. Now, one of the reasons I'm belaboring this point is that in our congregation, we've had a, a few people who, who have um, misunderstood this passage. And so for us, we have to make sure that we understand how to read Scripture. Read the rest of the verses in 28 and 29 with me. He says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by one who has, and here's a list of three things, trampled underfoot the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant, and has outraged the spirit of grace. These are the things that he's talking about. Rejecting Jesus by trampling him underfoot. Rejecting the new covenant by profaning the covenant. And by rejecting mercy and choosing religion instead. Outrage the spirit of grace. You see, the author of Hebrews is saying, why do this? Why reject Jesus and his gospel to go back to the old system? That's going to bring instability in your life, a powerless life. It's going to bring a deeply unstable spirit inside of you. He says in verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. What confidence is he talking about? The confidence that the blood of Jesus is forever your sacrifice, forever your assurance that only his blood stands for salvation. You know, how this works um, in our lives is the book of Romans tells us that oftentimes we forget that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for us, especially in our sins. And so when we sin, we go to the Father and we say, I feel like you don't love me anymore. I feel like I failed you. I feel like I'm no longer yours. 
But in the book of Romans, it says, but the spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. That means that when we go to God and say, I think I've broken your covenant and that your blood no longer stands, he says, hey, you are a child of God. He bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. That is our confidence, brothers and sisters. That is the gospel footing that the author of Hebrews wants us to take our stand in. And he says, do not throw away your confidence because this is the basis of a powerful life. This is the basis for a powerful life. Let's read verse 35 and 39, going into the second half here. He says then, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back. Because of the standing that we have in the gospel, because of the once for all sacrifice, brothers and sisters, we are not those who shrink back. We have power in our life. This is the spiritual grounding through which we live powerful lives for Jesus. You know, when I, um, I grew up playing football my whole life since I was young. And uh, when you sign up for football, you have all these kind of pictures of how football is going to be and how fun it's going to be. You're going to score touchdowns, get sacks and get all these, do these wonderful things. But then when you start school football in fifth grade, uh, when I started, it was totally different because you're learning foundations. And I, I don't know if you can see me, but uh, I remember when we signed up for football, we were forced to do this drill called bird dogs. And to this day, I don't know why it's called bird dogs, but it was called bird dogs, and this is what it was. For 20 minutes, this is what you do. You stand like this, and you imagine a clock around your foot, your feet, and then the coach would say, one o'clock, you step at one o'clock, then you come back. 11 o'clock, you know, one, 11 o'clock, come back. Three o'clock, three o'clock, and come back. And you do that for, for 20 minutes, you do that. And you're thinking, is this football? <laughs> this doesn't feel like football, <laughs> right? But you do that, 11 o'clock, nine o'clock. And you do that uh, for the whole year in fifth grade, we did that every single practice. But the reason he was teaching us that is because, you know, football is obviously not about 11 o'clock, this kind of drill. It's about blocking and tackling, which is the, the fundamentals of what football is. It's about engaging people and actually hitting people. But if you want to hit people, you have to have your feet under you. You have to have footing and grounding and foundation under you. And you cannot effectively block or tackle or hit anyone unless you have your hips underneath you to develop that power. We did that all throughout middle school so that in high school, we knew how to hit people. We knew how to block and tackle. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 10 is telling you about the foundation of a life of power. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the once and for all sacrifice for your life is not merely so that you can sit back on your couch and say, I guess I'm saved. But it is the foundation from which you can live a radical, powerful life in this world. Without that foundation, you cannot do that. But with that foundation, you can actually do things that make no sense in this world, that make this world ask you why you're doing these things, help you to live a life of radical power. And I think, brothers and sisters, sometimes 
This is where we get stuck. Sometimes we learn the gospel and we don't know how to generate power from it, right? We learn the gospel, Jesus died for my sins. I know that. The Bible tells me so. But we don't know how to generate power from that. But that's exactly what it's for, brothers and sisters. A Holy Spirit-driven, powerful, radical life in this world. And once we lose the grounding for power, these are two things that happen. Sometimes when we just learn the gospel and we don't know how to use the gospel for power, we can either become fearful in exercising our spiritual authority as God's children because we don't know how to generate that power from the grounding of the gospel, what I call timid in the spirit. We we become timid about the things of God. Or the second thing that could happen is we become bold in the flesh. Not just timid in the spirit, but bold in the flesh. Because all of us, we are meant to live with power. And so what we do is we decide to derive power from something else besides the gospel. And we become either bold in the flesh or timid in the spirit. And some of us become both. So when you have a conversation, right, about things of the world, you're very confident. And when it comes to the things of God, you become very timid. And often those two things kind of go together. But let me start with in reverse, bold in the flesh. You know, 1 John 2.16 says this, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. It talks about the pride of life. And that's where many of you derive your confidence. The fact that you have lived life and they have not. The fact that you've been successful in some things and others have not. I've lived life and you haven't. I've accomplished things and you haven't. And you derive your confidence from those things. 1 John 2.16 says that is the pride of life. And that is not from the Father, but from the world. And you think that if people would just live like you lived, then they would be better off. That is a boldness, but it's not, not a boldness derived from the Father. It's derived from this world. And th- those are the people that once those kinds of people enter into church leadership, they will t- tear the church apart because their confidence is from the flesh. It's from what they know from the world. Actually, those are like the worst spirits to disciple other people from, right? And oftentimes when spirits like this read the word of God, it bounces off their heart because they have a hard heart. So when they read something in the Bible, it goes like this. Boop, that person needs to know that. That person needs to know that. And you're reading scripture and you're like, you know, the liberals need to hear that. The conservatives need to hear that. And it just bounces off your heart and it catapults to someone else. And it doesn't affect you from the inside. The pride of life. We cannot become bold in the flesh. That's not from the Father. That's from the world. But when we don't derive our confidence from the gospel, that's often what can happen to us. That's often what can happen to us. So I ask you, please check your heart for a fleshly boldness that does not come from the spirit of the Lord, but that comes from the world. If you ask, how do I check for that? How do you treat and speak to people that you perceive to be lesser than you? How do you treat them? How do you speak to them? People that you perceive to be lesser than you. Is there a fleshly boldness inside of you? Let us not throw away our confidence and derive our confidence from the flesh, 
But secondly, what else could happen to us is we become timid in the spirit. And I really just want to focus on this. Is, uh, I see this a lot, is that we are timid about exercising our spiritual identity in the gospel, right? We are timid about that. We're reluctant to take up the courage and boldness of the spirit. Who God says you are, you feel shy about exercising that, especially in front of other people. And when we don't find our grounding in the gospel and leverage it for a powerful life in the spirit, this is what can happen to us. I know I'm saved, but I'm timid about the things of God. And this happens often because we lack prayer, we lack in the word, we lack in faith. Derek Prince, he was a pastor who did some research about why he's, he studied Chinese underground Christians and why during persecution, he saw that some Chinese underground Christians were willing to be tortured and even die for the faith and other Christians gave up. He was trying to understand, is there, you know, is there something identifiable in the difference between the two? And the one thing that he discovered was this, which was interesting. And the people who were willing to lay down their life for the faith during the persecution of the underground church, they memorized scripture. They memorized scripture. And that was a consistent indicator that they were going to be able to live a radical, powerful life, even standing up to persecution. And I think that that's because when you internalize scripture, you memorize it and put it in your heart, that it becomes a part of you. And it's not just words on a page, but it becomes a part of your heart and voice. Those people were willing to stand up even to persecution. When we don't do these things, when we don't fan into flame our identity in Christ, we become timid about exercising our spiritual authority. We become ashamed of the gospel in front of your non-believing friends. You become too timid to encourage one another in the spirit. We're scared to take steps of faith in our life decisions, and all of our life decisions are mere common sense and rationality. We're scared to step into faith decisions in our lives. We're not confident about the gifts that God gives us. We're not sure if we should use them. We cower before money because money seems so powerful. And we get nervous about doing the things that we know God has told us to do because we're scared of the consequences of taking steps of faith. That's timidity in the spirit. And we have not been given a spirit of timidity. The righteous are as bold as a lion if we take up our foundation in the gospel. That's what this passage is calling us to. We are not those who shrink back. We are not of those who shrink back. Do not throw away your confidence. That's what the gospel is for, brothers and sisters. Not just to save you from heaven, but to live with power here on earth. Now, some of you may be thinking, but if I do that, what if I come off cocky and arrogant? I don't want people to think that of me. And... um, You know, I just want to tell you, don't be so worried about that because I don't know if you know this, but people who are confident in the spirit, uh, who derive their confidence in Jesus, um, even though they are bold as a lion, they feel safe. You know what I mean? There are people who, who, who really do take up their confidence in the, in the spirit. And even though they derive immense power from Jesus, you feel like you could tell them your secrets. You feel like you could talk to them. 
I have missionary friends like that who tell me I can't even get out of a grocery store because people are always talking to me and there's something about their spirit that draws people to them. When you are bold in the flesh, no matter how much you try to hide it, your selfishness and self-centeredness, it's going to come through. No matter how humble you try to act, right? Give it enough time, you'll figure it out. But those who are confident in the Lord, they feel safe and there's a humility about them. And so I call you, do not throw away your confidence. Live into the spiritual authority of who God has called you to be. And, and how you do that, keep doing your bird dogs, right? Keep reading scripture, tuck it away into your heart. And I know that sometimes it could feel slow and tedious, but make it a part of who you are. And the foundation of Christ and the gospel in your heart, in the spirit, will start to derive power in your life. But you have to get your footing. Make sure you have your confidence in the spirit. And I want to tell you this um, as kind of the last theme that I want to share with you. You know, this boldness that comes from the spirit, if you are going to actually live into this, how do I say this? You have to experience it for yourself. Um, You have to experience you in the boldness of the spirit. Let me explain what that means. Some of you guys have seen lives of boldness maybe in a pastor or maybe in a missionary. Some of you have heard testimonies of radical lives of boldness in the gospel, right? But it's not you. And you've never experienced boldness through yourself. And it's still theoretical. It's still theory. I know the gospel derives power for life. It's just I've never experienced it. You've never heard your voice boldly share the gospel. You've never seen your bank account sacrificially give. You've never expended your own energy for the kingdom of God. And so the plausibility structures in your mind tell you it can happen for other people, but it can't happen for me. And that's the big gap you have to cross to live in the power of the gospel. You got to hear your voice do it. You got to feel yourself spontaneously pray for someone out there when you're talking to them. You got to hear your voice encourage someone. Until you do that, the power of the gospel is not shining through you as God's workmanship. This was Moses' big struggle because God called Moses to be bold and faithful at the burning bush. And he said, Moses, I will use you to go and speak to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And what did Moses say? Not me. He said, I can't do it. Who, me? He said, I'm not spiritually bold. And what he meant by that is, I know that it's possible, theoretically, but not me. But not me. I've never seen me do it. This is what I've seen myself do. I've heard myself stutter. I've heard myself say wrong words. I've heard myself mess up. I've killed an Egyptian. This is me. His words are this, behold, they will not believe me, nor listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. I can't do that. I can't do that. I mean, God, I herd sheep. That's what I do. I'm a sheep herder. Some of you are like that. I'm a, I'm, I write code. You know, I'm a lawyer. I, 
I do spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm not bold. <laughs> I'm not bold in the gospel. And that was the gap between what God saw in Moses and what Moses saw in himself. That's your gap. And when Moses says, I can't, what does God say to him? He says, Moses, who made man's mouth? Who made your mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? You see, there was this huge gap between who Moses saw himself to be and who God knew Moses could be in the spirit if he lived into the spirit of God. The problem was that Moses never saw that before. If Adam lost himself in the garden, Moses never found himself. He had never seen himself be like that. Is that you? When you hear these sermons on Sundays, you're like, sounds great, but I've never seen me do any of that. That was Moses' gap. That might be yours. But the Lord did work mighty things in Moses. As Moses started to step forward in the spirit, maybe doing his bird dogs in the afternoons, as he starts to step forward in the spirit, we see Moses change and change him, God did. It says that no one spoke as powerfully as Moses did. Isn't that amazing? And then comes Exodus 14, one of my favorite passages in scripture, where Moses is leading the people to the Red Sea, and he has the Red Sea in front of him, and he has the Egyptians coming behind him, and all of the people of God are scared, and Moses stands up, and this is what he says in Exodus 14, 13, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that he will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. Listen to me. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. You're like, who was that? Who was that? That was Moses. In the power of the Spirit. That's what the Lord is generating in him. But Moses didn't understand what it meant to live in the boldness of the Spirit until he did. And Moses spoke like no one did before. There was immense power in him. And then he died. And then the Lord calls this young man named Joshua who never led either. Never led with his voice. Never heard his voice be bold in the spirit. And in his heart, as God calls him, his heart says, but I'm not like Moses. I'm not like Moses. I can't talk like Moses. And what does he say to Joshua? Joshua, son of Nun, be bold and courageous, for I am with you, for I am with you. I love you. I am with you. My brothers and sisters, that's exactly what he's saying to you today. The Christian's power comes from the love relationship that he has in the Father, the assurance that God is with him. And you need to start to hear your voice doing courageous ministry you need to start to hear your voice sharing the gospel boldly. You need to become familiar with you, bold in the spirit. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. 
find your grounding in the gospel. His once and for all sacrifice has made you a child of God. We are not those who shrink back. My brothers and sisters, you're going to have to make the leap from knowing the gospel to propelling it for power in your life. And as you do, you will begin to see God work mighty things around you. You will see the purpose that he set you apart for. Let the assurance of God's love give you power. Let us live in boldness. Let's see what the God does in our midst when we start to live in the spirit. Let's go to him in prayer together.